Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to help resolve some of the world's biggest challenges and to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run and design with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place because this is where the best run. By the way, I want to thank all of our listeners around the world. This is one of our new shows this year in 2019. This is the final episode of the six-episode series. And a big shout-out to my colleague at SAP, Esther Blankenship, for putting together a wonderful set of presentations here, a wonderful set of shows and guests. So thank you, Esther. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. This is an interesting topic. I don't think we've ever covered this on any of our 43 Game Changer series. Let me read you a quote from a gentleman named John, J-O-N, Kennard, K-E-N-N-A-R-D. I found this quote at thetrainingjournal.com. Here's what he says. There is no doubt that as learners, we express our preferences for the type of learning we like to engage in. But until the research tells us differently, we should at least consider designing for the brain. (laughs) For the brain and not the learning style. But the brain is so intricate. Where do we start? So what we're going to be talking about today is a fascinating area of neuroscience that focuses on interpreting signals from the brain, your brain, my brain. How? Through mobile wearable headsets. The devices pick up signals that can be used to gauge our attention span, ooh, guilty as charged, at our stress levels, as well as, this is the scary but the good part, receiving our mental commands. Okay, imagine, you start a job or you're fairly new to the job and you have to take all this training, and it's e-learning. You know, I know, we all know, we've all had to do it. Click here and listen for 45 minutes and answer a bunch of questions. Well, it's one size fits all. It doesn't care who you are, how long you've been with the company, how long you been in the industry, what you know or don't know. Well, neuroscience technology now can adapt the experience even in real time. Isn't that exciting? To your individual needs, your pace, your preferences, your brain's preferences. Are you curious? I have two interesting experts on the show today with us, and they're going to, in a moment, introduce themselves, tell us who they are and what this topic means to them. We'll be first speaking with Professor Olivier Oulier. I hope I'm pronouncing his name. His company is Emotive, E-M-O-T-I-V, all capital letters, and he's joined by Phil Mizzledean at SAP. So, Professor Olivier and Phil, welcome to Game Changers Radio. Professor, why don't you go first? Please tell everybody who you are, what you do, and what this topic means to you. Welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. My name is Olivier. I am a neuroscientist and a DJ. Um, Ah. I've been fascinated by the human brain since I was a kid, and really for me, um, having fun as a kid was trying to predict how people will interact with each other, what kind of decisions they will make, and I became an academic in, uh, in neuroscience, um, and as life uh, went on, I got interested in the technology that allows to record the brain, and this is why I, uh, I joined this company, Emotive, that is uh, currently the global leader in portable wearables that's allowed to monitor um, how our brain works, but also what is interesting is not just to record the signal from our brain, it's to make sense of it. And more importantly, how we can all benefit from a better understanding of neuroscience in order to make us happier um, overall. So that's pretty much uh, me. Thank you, Olivier. You can't just come on a live radio show with listeners all over the world and say, I'm a neuroscientist and a DJ. That is a combination, Olivier, that just doesn't <laughs> normally go together. That's in, in comedy, that's called stepping on a laugh when the audience, or stepping on a response when the audience is saying, what did he just say? And you just kept on going. And I, I kind of screeched on this end. So, Olivier, before we move on to Phil, could you please tell us, I have here in the notes, you produce electronic music. You're the founder of DJs for Good. That's DJS, the number four, G-O-O-D, a global movement, movement leveraging the community of DJs to support and fund charities and social impact initiatives. Please just tell us a little bit about that, Olivier. It's fascinating. Absolutely. That was my kind of brain trick to get more airtime, Boney. Just dropping the <laughs> DJ thing without commenting. 
Touche, <laughs> touche, it worked. <laughs> I funded, I funded um, college and university uh, thanks to DJing, which was a good way for me to have fun and make money at the same time. Um, and it's interesting now that uh, DJs are considered artists, which was not the case when I started. I actually hid my entire academy career that I was a DJ because uh, the reputation wasn't so good. But now DJs are mainstream. And it's interesting to see that no one so far has leveraged the community of DJs who are facing millions of people every day or every weekend dancing in front of them in order to support social impact uh, initiatives and charities. And this is the movement I've launched. I'm trying to give back uh, to music and to the people. It's wonderful. It was it was a lovely juxtaposition of two different two different pursuits, and I'm very happy that you brought it. And it worked. You got extra airtime. We're going to give plenty of airtime to your colleague on the panel, <laughs> Phil Misseldine. Phil, talk to us. What do you do? Who are you? What's this topic mean to you? Go ahead, Phil. Hey, Bonnie. Um, well, how can I compete with a DJing <laughs> neuroscientist professor? So no I'll competition, dear. None at all. I None can at play all. guitar, you know. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, directing UX innovation at SAP, and um, I'm really passionate about trying to find new ways of uh, interacting uh, with computers and really breaking that barrier between the machine and the human, you know, and allowing uh, people to express themselves much clearer to a computer in more natural ways. So um, I've been working in innovation and uh, uh, been really focusing on uh, how to enable, you know, the intelligence behind artificial intelligence. And I really believe user experiences hold the key for that and the type of technologies we can um, integrate with, uh, with our software. And um, that's why I'm super happy to be talking about um, BCI, brain-computer interaction, because, um, you know, this is really a next uh, you know, next bar- uh, um, next level of uh, interaction, which we just haven't thought about before, right? That we normally just interact with mouse, keyboard, maybe now with voice, but, you know, mm-hmm. to go to that level of saying, well, let's go directly to the source of the user to understand them. And, um, you know, we've been working with uh, Olivier and Emotive um, and, um, you know, we just came back from Las Vegas together. So, you can imagine what the experience is like with a neuroscientist DJ at Las Vegas. I'll say that that is a completely unique business trip. I could only imagine. Absolutely fascinating. I'm looking at the photo Olivier sent. Olivier, you've got some kind of a black T-shirt. Your arms are folded. You've got some kind of a headset that's going across your forehead and around the back of your head. You have this huge smile, and there are some letters. Or are those musical notes on your T-shirt? I have to know, Olivier. I want my listeners to know. Sure. Uh, This is actually a Depeche Mode T-shirt. It's from the latest tour. And uh, we happen to have worked with uh, the Depeche Mode production. And um, uh, 30 years ago, almost, uh, there was a, uh, an album called um, Violator from Depeche Mode that was mm-hmm. released with a song called Enjoy the Silence. And we did Enjoy the Science by trying to understand what was going on in Depeche Mode fans during a concert. So this is where this picture comes from. Well, I have to tell everybody who's not old enough to know who Depeche Mode is. <laughs> I am, Olivier. I remember them very well. Depeche Mode, if anybody's looking it up, is D-E-P-E-C-H-E, French Mode, M-O-D-E, are an English electronic band formed in Basildon, Essex in 1980. How many years ago was that? It's almost 40 years ago. The group now, according to Wikipedia, consists of Dave Gahan on lead vocals and co-songwriting, Martin Gore, keyboards, guitar, co-lead vocals, and main songwriting, and Andy Fletcher. They released their debut album, Speak and Spell, in 1981, bringing the band into the British new wave scene. Their last uh, their last albums of the 80s, Black Celebration and Music for the Masses, established them as a dominant force within the electronic music scene. Very, very interesting. Well, thank you for that trip down musical memory lane. I really appreciate it. Wait, wait, wait. This is not musical memory lane. They were the biggest grossing band over the past two years with more than three million people attending the concert. So this is quite actual, actually. Really? Well, I'm going to have yeah. to tune back in. I mean, Phil, are you, are you a fan <laughs> of Depeche Mode also, Phil? I mean, I, I, I hate to say it. They were, they were a bit old for me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was... <laughs> 
I was more the Britpop era, Oasis and this, this era. But yeah, I can appreciate them. Okay, good. Well, we're going to have Olivier send him a Depeche Mode t-shirt so he can get on the bandwagon here. Okay. <laughs> this is the part of the show. Esther, I'm sorry. She tells me to cut down on the introductions, but you know what? You two are so interesting. I have a question for both of you. Before we get to the, the opening quotes you sent me, which is the part of the show where I ask you to send a quote that is not specifically on our topic and then ask you to explain it live on the radio as to how it relates to the topic or what it reminds you of. My my opening quote was slightly controversial. I quoted John Kennard at trainingjournal.com, and he said, we should consider designing for the brain and not the learning style. Let me just do a quick agree or disagree. Professor Olivier Ullier, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Learning style, which is the premise of, of the overview of this show, or the brain? What's ruling here? Is the brain in charge of all of this? I agree, as long as we are considering the brain as a unique organ for each person. If the quote means that we need to design learning to adapt to each personality and the context, I 100% agree. Okay. Phil, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Oh, absolutely. Completely agree um, with what Olivier said because, um, you know, for us it's the source of truth. That if we can identify through the brain and the way that you, you react to, say, training content, um, then, of course, that, that produces a unique experience for an individual because everyone learns differently. Yes, the learning styles also change, but ultimately it's how you feel about and how you react to uh, not just training but all sorts of content and uh, data, um, and, and you are unique as, as, as your brain, and that's what we want to try and achieve. Thank you very much. Very Thank you both for indulging my question. Now let's go to your opening quotes. These are very interesting. Shall I call you Olivier or Professor Olivier? Yes, Olivier, of course. Olivier, Olivier. of course. That's a long name. I'm teasing. Olivier. Olivier sent us a quote from Immanuel Kant, 1724 to 1804. It's always interesting to me when we get quotes from people who were not around in any recent times at all and the way they're described in their bios. Kant, K-A-N-T, was an influential Prussian-German philosopher in the Age of Enlightenment. I think a lot of people today, Olivier, would think we're in a new Age of Enlightenment. In his doctrine of transcendental <laughs> idealism, he argued that space, time, and causation are mere sensibilities. Things in themselves exist, but their nature is unknowable. Here's the quote. Let me get to it, and then uh, Olivier will tell us what the world it has to do with neuroscience and learning. The quote is, I must, therefore I can. And doesn't that remind us of uh, Le Penseur, the French statue? Uh, je pense donc je suis. So this is, I must, therefore I can. Olivier, talk to me. It's basically uh, the phrase that has guided my life for so many decades now. The idea that if there is a goal to achieve, I have to find a way to achieve it. Um, if I need to walk on water, I will find a way to walk on water. And it might require for me to freeze a lake. Uh, my job and my life has been to find solutions. I always found this quote inspiring because ultimately it tells us that what I have to achieve is not so much about my brain. It's about everything else that is around my brain is just part of an ecosystem. I must do things so my intention and the constraints in the environment are going to somewhat dictate what my behavior and my actions are going to be. So, and it's also, in terms of motivation, a good way not to give up. So this is why I, I absolutely adore this quote. And, you know, uh, you mentioned that uh, I was... Uh, I chose a quote from someone who's dead. It's always better to comment on people who are dead because they're not here to, to disagree with interpretation you make of a statement. <laughs> Touche. And I mistakenly attributed this to Le Penseur, the thinker by Rodin, and it actually is from René Descartes. Je yeah, pense donc je suis, I think Absolutely. therefore I am. And in Latin, it's cogito ergo sum. Absolutely. So those of you who are too young and haven't studied French or Latin, now's the time to catch up because as I think I said, we're in the new age of enlightenment. Do you agree, Olivier? There is always an age of enlightenment. Every year uh, brings new developments, new technology, new inventions. So I always look at the future. Uh, I enjoy the past to better understand the future. 
So I would agree, regardless the year we're having this conversation, that there is a new age of enlightenment. Thank you. I'm honored that you agree with me. I just figured that out. Thank you. Yes, we're trying to be enlightened, and that's why we have Game Changers Radio. We want to enlighten our audience around the world, at least get people thinking outside of the box. No longer radio in a box. Right, Olivier? We're radio wireless all over the world. So there you go. Thank you. And Phil Misseldine has sent us a quote from John Lennon. I think there's a big debate going on about whether he was the first to say it, but we're going to go with him as the source <laughs> of this quote, Phil. I did, I use quote investigator. I looked up, I, I spent a lot of time researching the attribution of the source of the quotes my guests send me. And this one had a lot of questions on it, but we all Love John Lennon, so uh, we're going to use this one. John Lennon, of course, John Winston Lennon, MBE. He was born John Winston Lennon October 9th. He would have had a birthday coming up in a week or so. He passed away by gunshot on 8th of December 1980. He was an English singer, songwriter, and peace activist, but he's best known as the founder and co-lead vocalist and rhythm guitar of the Beatles. His songwriting partnership with Paul McCartney, who's still very much alive and kicking, remains the most successful partnership uh, songwriters in history. In 1969, he started the Plastic Ono Band with his second wife, Yoko Ono. After they did the Beatles disbanded in 70, Lennon continued as a solo artist and a collaborator on Yoko Ono's music. I was a Beatle maniac back in the day, Phil and Olivier. I was one of the girls who bought every magazine that had the Beatles on the cover. I had a mad wild crush on Paul McCartney. And when Jane got him, I just thought, oh, my God, life is over. So I remember these very well. Here's the quote Phil has selected. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay... It's not the end. Phil, I love this quote. It just goes against the grain. Brilliant. Tell me about the quote. How did you pick it for our show today? We're talking about neuroscience and training. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I, I, I've spent a lot of time and some of my favorite years in life in Liverpool. And um, uh, I, I live very close to John Lennon's house and uh, or where he was born. And I used to walk past and uh, on a cold, wet, morning, which is quite usual in Liverpool. And um, I don't know, I've always found him very inspiring in his music. And I mean, you just need to listen to some of his lyrics and, and the approach of, the, of, of not just John Lennon, but the Beatles and what they achieved. And for me, it was, uh, you know, we, we're looking at this uh, topic as an innovation. And um, there's, there's always, uh, you know, gaps in the road or, you know, challenges whenever you're trying to push the boundaries and create what you think is the future. And so to me, it's, it's a guiding quote to say, um, you know, no matter what sort of challenges and uh, interruptions and uh, issues uh, face the innovation journey, um, you know, it's, it's always good because in the end, the idea and our passion for it uh, always wins out. So uh, for me, it's a, a motivation from, uh, along with Bob Dylan, one of my uh, heroes of music. Um, see, it's even older than Tepesh Mode uh, uh, to get going. <laughs> I was, you read my mind without a brain scan. I was going to jump in. Good one, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. I, I can predict what you're going to say, Olivier. <laughs> oh, now we're getting scary. Now who's wearing the headset that reads mental signals? I don't want you guys predicting anything I'm going to say next. I'm trying to be very unpredictable here. I have a question for both of you before I ask you where you're. We have a, an up close and personal I told you about where you're calling from today and what's your favorite drink that powers the two of you. But my question is, is neuroscience something that scares people, most people? If you said to someone, uh, Olivia, you walk up to, hello, I'm a neuroscientist, so they're going to put their hands over their head, cover their head, and say, oh, my God, don't mess with my brain, man. Is this something that scares people today, or is this something in our new age of enlightenment, sir, we agreed, uh, that, that delights people? Oh, neuroscientists, wow, what can I learn about my brain? Where do you see people standing on the issue of anything to do with neuroscience? Olivier? Today, it's quite cool, actually. Whenever I mention neuroscience, people engage in conversation. When I started more than 20 years ago, uh, people found it boring, and I was just <laughs> a, a geek. But today, it's, it's a great way to start a conversation because people have lots of questions, and I'm always happy to, to discuss things related to the brain and how the brain and the environment interact, etc. 
Interesting. Phil, what's your observation? Neuroscience, uh, interesting, delightful, curiosity, scary. What do you, when you mention that and mention brain and training, do people run away and hide from you or do people say, tell me more, Phil? It's, it's, uh, of course, people are very curious about it. And especially, um, you know, from SAP and, and from a business context, I think there is, of course, some fear and, and sort of, um, uh, worry that, that the technology could be used in certain ways. You know, it's one thing that you could use it in your private life or, or something like that. And um, putting it in a business context, we have to be very um, sensitive to the fact that, you know, this is very personal data. And that's why everything that we, we're collaborating on um, and thinking about really puts a, a specific value to the user. And I think that's in, in general important with these type of technologies, whether it's, you know, uh, Alexa or anything like that, the, you know, mm-hmm. hearing you with a microphone all the way up to, you know, wearing a device that can uh, read your brain signals. Um, if there's a direct benefit uh, for the end user coupled with an ethical treatment of that data, that, that there's a trust um, then people then see those benefits plus can say, well, that's why you're using it. You're not using it to scan and, and uh, do something nefarious with it, but you're, you know, you're actually using it to give me a direct benefit. And uh, I, I'm actually empowered via this technology. And um, I think in the business context, uh, that, that's what's so exciting, that there's this curiosity plus so much potential uh, for the technology, which then um, really helps alleviate some of those uh, concerns, let's say, if people had them. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I, I looked up neuroscience, just curious to see what comes up first. And neuroscience at Wikipedia, the first sentence is neuroscience or neurobiology is the scientific study of the nervous system. It doesn't specifically mention the brain. Then you go to psychology today, and it says neuroscience is the complicated, multidisciplinary, and quickly developing field that looks at the structure and function of the human brain and the nervous system. Then neuroscienceinc.com says brain-focused science. Interesting. Olivier, do you have an opinion on the true definition of neuroscience? Well, for me, it's, it's a system. It's not just one discipline. When you study neuroscience, neuroscience is not just biology. It's also all the behavioral and psychology that goes with it. If you take the brain on its own as an organ and you put the brain on the table nothing's going to happen. A brain on its own is totally useless. The brain starts to become useful the moment it interacts first with the body that encapsulates the brain, and then with the various environments in which we live, physical, socioeconomic, digital. And this is the whole study of neuroscience. This is what it should be about. Not just the matter, the biological matter, but the interactions the exchange of information, and how we can leverage this knowledge in order to help people. Thank you very much. Let's. You know what, gentlemen? I've decided we're not going to take a break. So if you've got something nearby, take a sip because we're just going just gonna to barrel through. This is too interesting to interrupt this conversation. It's a compliment to both of you. I'm, uh, if you're just tuning in, by the way, this is our series called Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, episode number six, final episode of this series. Shout out to Esther Blankenship, who has sponsored the series for this year. The topic today is can neuroscience improve your experience of learning? And we're focusing on on-the-job training. You know those ho-hum e-learning. You have to take how many of those a year and sit through how many minutes and hours and answer how many questions and re-roll the whole thing till you can find all the cues to all the questions. I know I usually take physical notes or handwritten notes and then reference back eight pages to see where the answer to the quiz is. So we're trying to figure out if neuroscience can help, if it can come to the rescue. My two esteemed panelists are Professor Olivier Oulier, O-U-L-L-I-E-R, he's PhD, and Phil Misseldeen, if you're looking for him, it's M-I-S-E-L-D-I-N-E, Misseldeen, I pronounce it now correctly. So what we're doing right now is I'm just going to quickly ask my panelists where in the world you are today, because our audience is global, and what's your favorite drink that powers you. As soon as the two of you answer, then, Olivier, I'm going to go to your notes and we're going to start off with one of your discussion statements to continue this wonderful conversation. So, Olivier, 
Ooh et vu. Where are you in the world today, and what do you love to drink that makes you so smart? <laughs> I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, today, um, and uh, my favorite drink in the world is soda. Uh, it just makes me happy. I love soda. What kind of soda? Oh, Coke, um, Orangina. Um, mm. Yeah, these are the, 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 my favorite, uh, the, the classic Coke. I'm very basic, but uh, I, like, I like bubbles and sugar. Bubbles and sugar. <laughs> I've, I'm not even going to touch that one. I'm not even going to go there. This is not an adult show. Thank you very much. And Phil Mizzledean, where are you today and what do you love to drink? Um, I'm in Waldorf at the headquarters of SAP, and uh, I'm not sure my favorite drink makes me uh, more capable of uh, doing work, uh, but I, I love beer, and particularly I love uh, the thing that you can travel around the world, and no matter which town, which city, even in Las Vegas, which we just came back from, um, you can find a local craft beer with a slightly different taste and a different profile and um yeah so i probably at the weekend um i will be enjoying a local beer from from the beautiful place we are in germany uh which has hundreds of different breweries so lots of options very nice and i'm here in durham north carolina so i'm not that far away from you olivier i just look out the window you see the curly redhead with the drumsticks in her left hand that's me i'm waving at you uh Yes, I'm doing my part for the Age of Enlightenment, playing the drums now at a later stage in life, banging the heck out of the drums and making good music and making people happy. Isn't that what it's all about? I think uh, John Lennon would would applaud, but maybe not. Uh, I'm only allowed to drink water on radio show days because they won't let me anywhere near caffeine, and I think you figured out why. So we're going to proceed. We're just going to keep going. It's 32 after here, and we have a lot to cover. Olivier sent me the following statement, and let's get back to the idea of brain monitoring. So he said... In his notes before the show, wireless brain monitoring sensors and machine learning algorithms have empowered tens of thousands of passionate individuals around the world to monitor and better understand how the human brain functions in real-life situations, not just in research labs and medical facilities where neuroscientific studies were historically conducted. So talk to us about these wireless brain monitoring sensors. That's, I think it's what you're wearing in your PR photo. Olivia, what are we talking about here? Yes, we're talking about a technology that is wearable, and that's a big, big disruption in brain scanning. Um, for some of our uh, people listening to us today who have undergone brain scanning, generally you have to go to a hospital. You have to enter one of these big, big scanners that mm-hmm. cost millions and weigh tons and make a lot of noise. And generally, when you undergo uh, brain scanning, it is because there, is, there might be something wrong with the functioning of your brain. Um, the approach that we have taken in developing affordable and portable brain scanners is to try to provide access to brain health to everyone, not just the people that have a good healthcare coverage, also people in underserved areas of the world that do not have the luxury of having brain scanners. So there is, there is a brain health approach, meaning that you better understand how the brain functions and also some of the issues that uh, are happening with the brain, not only when people are secluded and isolated in scientific and medical labs, but in their everyday life. And then there is the understanding of our most casual and banal actions every day. Why do we make a decision? Why do we prefer a product rather than another? How do we learn? And this required to be able to record brains in people's natural environments, be it at home, in a classroom, or in the Mm -hmm. workplace. And this is exactly what we've achieved after more than 10 years of R&D and research studies and investment. Important to add investment. Thank you very much. Phil, agree or disagree? Anything you want to comment on what Olivier said before I move on to one of your statements? And we'll just keep going back and forth. Phil? 
I, 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 I'm always blown away with, uh, with the potential for this technology. And um, I remember, must be about 10 years ago, I actually saw a TED Talk and um, it was uh, with the founder of, uh, of Emotive, uh, Tan Lee, and I, I was watching it and I just saw this technology and I, and, uh, I thought this, this could have so much potential. But I didn't really believe it was, it was real, you know. I, I kind of, I was a bit skeptical about it and I thought, okay, um, it's a long way off. But um, I think, I think what's, what's, so, what's so interesting is it's, it's that next, next, uh, next hurdle that we need to come across to get to the next layer of uh, this age of enlightenment where we can say at the moment, as I said in my intro, we're always trying to imply what the user wants. So uh, mm-hmm. we're always trying to create software solutions, which, you know, we can do some studies and we can ask people, hey, was that experience good or not? Or, you know, click the smiley face or the unhappy face for your, for your software experience or not even software. Let's go broader. Um, you know, any kind of experience we have in, in, in life, um, if we could tap into that information um, directly from the source and have a more nuanced and more um, accurate response, which doesn't need people to, you know, be biased or, or, you know, really try and express what they want to do, but it's just there. It's natural. It's that source of information. Um, you know, it's absolutely game-changing. And, uh, you know, it's far outside of just business, as I said. Um, you can think of sports. You can think of... Um, you know, uh, visiting a, a, a football game, sorry, soccer game, um, and, um, you know, really being able to understand more, more you know, imagine that the, 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 the show, the experience you have when you're sitting could change. There's so much potential. You're watching television and things can adapt based on what you are excited about. You could the future is, uh, and the possibilities are endless with this technology. And I think we're just on the, on the cusp of understanding exactly what we can do with that technology. So it's an exciting My very bright self seems to, to chime in here. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, the, the, problem, the problem for me, and uh, I agree with, with, with what Phil said, but uh, he uses too much the word potential in future. And mm-hmm. this is the perception that people have about neurotechnology, that this is science fiction. Actually, this is just science in action. And uh, although we will be doing a lot more interesting things in the future, what we can achieve today, including the partnership we have with SAP, in customizing the experience, the learning experience of people, uh, be it in the workplace or at school, or being able to better understand people by including information about their brains in some evidence-informed strategy, be them for wellness, safety, or productivity is very important. When you look at how we've tried to understand human beings at scale over the past decades, uh, the most common tool was questionnaires, surveys, self-reports, interviews, Mm -hmm. and um, focus groups. These are great, but they tell only one side of the story. Mm -hmm. They They hint at what people think at a given moment or think they should do. Yes. Being able to have information about people, what people are actually doing, is as important. And this is what neurotechnologies are bringing. They are not replacing surveys. They are completing them so that you have a measure of what people intend on doing and what people are actually doing. And once you understand the gap between intention and action, between what people say and what they do, it is easier to help them to have sustainable, durable behavior change strategies, be it in learning or wellness, for example. Thank you both. Interesting discussion. I have a quick question for you, Olivier, and then I have a reference for Phil. Olivier, is it true that, or just tell me if I'm on the right track here, when you're monitoring the brain and what people are really thinking, you've taken away the cultural filters. In other words, I am sitting here taking a survey in a room with 100 people. How long do I have to stay? Am I comfortable or uncomfortable? Who's going to be reading this? Do I have to sign my name? Is it really anonymous? Versus, or if it's at work, uh, they know who I am. They have my user ID. What do I say? No, I didn't like this. Yes, I did like that. But when you're tapping directly into the brain, doesn't it remove that filter, that, that what 
the cultural, I'm calling it a cultural filter, my words, the cultural filter that says, should I or shouldn't I tell them this? Is that accurate? I, I have to disagree here. Okay. Um, we, cannot, we cannot read in people's minds what their inner thoughts are, uh, what their dreams are, uh, mm-hmm. at least not now, and there is no scientific evidence for that. And what is important is uh, whether the work we do at the motive and the work we're doing w- with SAP, we are collecting uh, anonymized data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more importantly, unlike a lot of tech companies, we're not selling the data. Uh-huh. The data that we collect anonymously is on a volunteer basis. People opt in and serves is used in order to improve our algorithms. But the data is never sold and never identified. It's impossible nowadays to identify someone's personality, someone's name, just from the brain signal. Okay, what I was what I was really thinking of Olivier was when we when brain signals are being tapped. I understand about the anonymous, and I appreciate that. But if my brain signals are being tapped for what I'm really thinking, it's not like I'm sitting in a room thinking, should I or shouldn't I answer the questionnaire or the survey this way because I have all these concerns about who will see or how it will come across with my answer. Is there more of a purity? The That's really what I was driving you know, at. A the purity. The concerns are still there. The yes. concerns are still there. The uh, social influence, the social desirability, meaning your, our tendency to try to please people socially with our answers when we are surveyed and things like that are still there. Uh, we are monitoring also some of these external influences on how the brain functions. The brain is never isolated from um, social interactions, Fair enough. Um, temperature, etc. Fair enough. Thank you. Um, and... Phil, I just Can wanted I, to give a you? reference. If, if anybody wants to see Tan Lee's TED Talk, it's there. All you have to do is just Google uh, emotive, E-M-O-T-I-V, Tan, T-A-N, Lee, L-E, only one E, and it comes up under TED. Tan Lee's astonishing new computer interface reads its users' brainwaves, making it possible to control virtual objects and even physical electronics with mere thoughts and a little concentration. She demos the headset and talks about its far-reaching applications. This is from July 20. 10, so you're right, it's just about 10 years, almost on the dot, and it's had 2.7 million views. I just want to tell people that it's available. So go ahead, Phil, chime in, please. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, uh, if you picture the difference as being, um, let's say you do, uh, I don't know, an IT ticket, right? So you've asked for a bit of support, like your laptop doesn't work or something, um, and you go through the process, and then at the end it says, uh, how was your experience? I think what's more interesting with, with BCI is that um, instead of this one-off, often post the event where there is a lot of bias as well in terms of, well, there's people involved, and I had a conversation with someone, and I, I don't know the impact of this, uh, of this, um, of this uh, survey, and if I rate it as a you know, a one out of five that you know, someone could get in trouble, this kind of bias. Having a continuous stream of, you know, analyzing, uh, and it doesn't have to be constant, but, you know, sort of saying, let's, let's take a sample of the type of IT support messages and tickets we get, and let's see where in the process, um, you know, concern happens, where people do get stressed, where people don't enjoy the experience, and use that as real-time information, even if there's still some bias there, because, of course, I'm still going to feel emotional about um, talking to someone, and, but I'm not having this moment in time where I'm just suddenly asked, you know, like a survey, hey, what did you think of that? And, of course, then it's, it's far more biased um, because uh, I'm, I'm being asked if we can do it in a way which is, which is not only transparent uh, for the user, but it's also um, something which is just continuous. And therefore, we can much, clearly, uh, much clearer understand um, exactly what that user and, and the, the process behind, uh, you know, really what makes a good or a bad experience for people. Thank you very much. I'm going to pose a question to both of you here. Uh, Let me start with Olivier. The idea of personalizing training, and that's what we really want to focus on on the show today, 
Is it real? How does it get personalized? In my intro, I mentioned that it can happen in real time. So, Olivier, you are, let's just hypothetically say you go to work at a company. Olivier, you may be great at neuroscience. You're a wonderful global DJ. Your heart is in the right place. You've got all this training, but you have to learn how we do things at Company XYZ Widget Makers Incorporated. And you have to take these trainings. But we have good news for you, Olivier. We can personalize it if you put on this headset, and it will know exactly what. What's going to happen? next that the training will be personalized, Olivier? How does it work? The way it works is um, quite straightforward in in appearance. We've got a new form factor for the headset uh, that is different from the one that you can see on my picture. The one you can see on my picture makes me look like some cyborg coming from a (laughs) sci-fi movie. Uh, The new form factor is actually earbuds. So we've got brain sensors that are collecting brain activity from inside our ears. So you can wear it throughout the entire day. And this is what we demonstrated last week uh, in Las Vegas with Phil and his team at uh, SAP TechEd. The possibility for people to uh, interact naturally with a computer, wearing headphones, taking calls, or uh, listening to a video. Now think of you undertaking this training And suddenly, uh, the system detects that you're somewhat distracted and you're not reading the training well because at the Mm -hmm. moment it starts with a page you have to read. The system can automatically, with SAP Fury, detect this and switch to video or a podcast because it requires a little less visual attention and auditory attention is available. So basically, the computer, the intelligent assistant, senses which modality, which channel is best Mm -hmm. at a given moment to communicate uh, to you some important information. Sometimes it's going to be reading. Sometimes it's going to be reading plus auditory. But it's going to change from one person to another and also it's going to change for the same person depending on the time of the day or the day of the week. I often remind people that our state of mind, level of fatigue, stress, and distraction might very well be different on a Friday compared to a Monday. And this is not a problem. This is us just being human. However, it becomes a problem if the way information is delivered to us when we need to be trained and to learn if this information is static, is one size fits all, as you mentioned very accurately in your opening statement. Mm-hmm. We need to have dynamic tools that take into account not only who we are in terms of personality, skills, and experience, but in which state of mind, state of mental fatigue, stress, and distraction we are at a given moment. And this is what this intelligent assistance that we've built together with SAP, is providing for the first time. Thank you. Very interesting. Phil, weigh in on this. Your thoughts on this concept of it, it can sense your level of boredom, your engagement, what you need to do, the personalization happens because it's it's reading you. And I noticed in your notes here, Phil, you say, I'm just going to read you, say, um, uh, I personally use brain monitoring headsets extensively and observe many people use them for the first time. Some are skeptical about putting on the device. Others are open and curious. But no matter what their initial feeling is, once they connect to their own mind in a totally new way, it's fascinating for people because they immediately feel the power of the technology. So, Phil, how do you feel about personalized training right there in the moment? I mean, this is really... Um the holy grail of, of uh, workplace learning, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of its experience. Because um, as I, uh, we've been discussing, uh, how many times do we get this one-size-fits-all safety training or even worse, these huge books of content, especially working with complex software or business processes, and you've got to dive into the, the training material and try and find where it is that you're stuck and how it can be described to you in a way that you understand. And, you know, being passionate about experience, user experiences, you know, honestly, it sucks. Um, <laughs> you know, learning in general, in, when you put it 
in, into the, the field of software and how to use it. We haven't got there yet. We have either the F1 button that I can tap or the help menu, um, and I can try and articulate what my problem is. But what we've been thinking about is, well, if we can understand you more, so if we can, we can also use technologies such as eye tracking to see exactly what it is that you're looking at. And then with BCI, if we can just trigger some kind of stress um, uh, change in you or attention is dropping, some indicator that you're stuck. My passion is how can you express to a computer that you're stuck? How can you express to the computer that you didn't like that result that it brought back to you? How can you express you love that result? or that the figure that you're seeing is, is the best figure you've ever seen, uh, business figure you've ever seen, and I want to see more. You would click on it, perhaps. If you look at a, a, a KPI and you say, oh, my word, that's, that's terrible. I didn't realize that you know, our results were going this way. How can you express that to a computer? And similarly, how can you express, I'm stuck. I don't know where to go next, or, you know, it, this is where these type of technologies are game changers because it means that you don't have to do anything other than look at, you know, look at some part of the interface, a button, and think, oh, what happens if I click this? Or I can't remember if I'm meant to fill that out. I don't know what an APN field is. And so the holy grail of an experience would be that you don't need to interact. The system will understand, hey, at this point in time, you need some help. And here it is subtly. I'm just going to introduce it to you. And then to actually, the next step, to adapt that content. So as I'm reading it or I'm looking at a certain part of a chart, suddenly, you know, we can see a peak of interest that this is something, wow, yeah, this is exactly where I'm stuck. Um, I see the stress going down. Well, let's show you more of that content. Let's not bore you with all the uh, preamble about the topic. This is exactly where you wanted to focus. So we can provide you an individual in-the-moment just for you, learning journey through, through the masses of information that we have available. I mean, what isn't to love about that? And I think it's only with BCI and the kind of technologies that we have um, at SAP that we're able to sort of bring this to the next level. And one final remark on that is that we are also very conscious not to do, sorry, any Microsoft uh, fans out there, but the, the what we call the clippy effect, you know, hey, it looks like you're that you're, you're making a, a writing a, a letter, you know, because it just senses some kind of pattern, um, which can get annoying very quickly. We're also very conscious that we don't want, you know, help to be chucked into your face every time that you get a bit stuck, you know. Um, so uh, it then becomes undelightful, right? That if, if suddenly it's a, hey, it looks like you need help. Hey, it looks like you need help. You'll be like, no, I don't need any help. Go away. And so we're very conscious that there's a fine line between being helpful and being annoying or uh, stopping you from working. But, um, you know, with great design and innovations that we're doing together, I think we're the right teams there to really get that balance correct. But it's definitely something we're looking into. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, we are three and a half minutes away from the end of the show. It's been a delightful and very much eye-opening, and I'm going to say brain-opening conversation with the two of you. <laughs> so I'm going to give you each 60 seconds for a prediction. What will change about this concept of neuroscience and improving our experience of learning? I'm just going to broaden this on the job, off the job, anything we need to learn. Personalize it, customize it, make it fun, make it interesting, uh, make it so that we, each of us, really wants to do it and, and, and ends up learning something. So Professor Olivier Ulier, PhD at Emotive, please, 60 seconds, what do you predict will change between now and 2025? And Phil, you're up next. So Olivier, it's all yours, 60 seconds. What is going to change is that neurotechnologies are going to become more and more pervasive. It is going to be impossible not to take into account how the brain of people function in order to provide all sorts of services. We've been looking at the brain from afar through surveys, questionnaires, or biometrics, but we now have not only the ability, but uh, the skill and the computation power to better understand how the brains of people function and our lives at home, at work, um, when we are being entertained, are going to be as 
adapted as possible as how our brain functions. We are not just our brains, but ignoring how our brain functions up to to now was a big mistake from business. Thank you very much. Very well put. Phil Mizzledean, please, 60 seconds. That's all I've got for you, but use it well. What's your prediction, Phil? I think that BCI is is coming. It's here, right here and now. We're going to see it, as Olivier said, become more and more pervasive um, and it's going to be an absolute game changer for, for business and for the daily working life. And um, I really see that we're just at the cusp of this technology and finding out exactly how it can be used. It's going to impact pretty much every way that we're going to interact with computers in our home life, in our work life. And some of that can be um, can be uh, used for nefarious goods, um, mm-hmm. but I think that the 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 benefits, the core benefits for people, are so huge. Just like with um, with you know rapid communication, just like with personal wearable technology, that in the future we're gonna it's bright and it's the technology with BCI in the center of it. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I have learned so much from the two of you. Very appreciative to both of you. Again, shout out to Esther Blankenship at SAP. Thank you for a good run for the series this year, Esther. You touched on topics we haven't seen on our other Game Changer series. We're grateful to you for all your efforts putting into the show. And, Phil, I'm going to have a conversation with you about possibly uh, continuing the work on this series for 2020. So you and I will chat soon, I promise. And now I want to say thank you also to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio the business channel for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I want to thank you for listening and I want to do my call to action here. So here we are. Fasten your seatbelt or maybe I should say fasten your brainwave transmitting headset. What are you waiting for? (laughs) Go out and be a game changer. I just did that on the fly. I thought you'd like it, Phil and Olivier. Uh, Go out and be a game changer (laughs) <laughs> Go out and be a game changer today, just like Professor Olivier Ullier, PhD at Emotive, and just like Phil Mizzledean at SAP. Signing off, have a great day. I'll be back in one hour, 12 noon, with a new episode of Revenue Growth, focusing on the new B2B customer experience and how do we get customers to listen to us and trust us. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.